Well, as you see from the screen, we are continuing through our series we call Creed. And what we're doing in this series is we're just working our way line by line through this ancient statement of the core Christian doctrines, the Apostles' Creed. I reformatted it a little bit so it all fits on one screen. We won't read through it all right now. We'll do that later. But, but I italicized in there, you see, I believe in, I believe in, I believe in. That's what it is. They're statements of belief. Primarily, initially circled around the Trinity. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then what the ancients did is they kind of flipped it to full auto and they just start firing away. Uh, like last week we looked at, I believe, in the Holy Universal Church and the communion of saints. Great, pa- and great uh, sermon from Pastor Jared. Uh, and then what we come to this week is that one little phrase, the forgiveness of sins. And this is where the gospel comes in. After all, basic confessional Christianity. Yes, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, of course. Yes, the church. But certainly, Lord have mercy, certainly the gospel. And that's what we will be talking about this morning. Now, in order to get after that, we have to start with the problem. We're going to get to the solution, but the solution never really makes sense until you embrace the problem. So for example, if I say to you, hey, uh, did you hear they found uh, the cure to this, I don't know, some rare disease that you've never heard of? Be like, oh, that's, that's nice. It's trivia. That's all it is, is a trivia thing, right? What if I were your doctor and first I told you, you actually have this rare disease, it's fatal, and oh, by the way, they just found the cure. Now it's good news. Because you have understood the problem, now you embrace the goodness of the news. We need to talk about the problem before we talk about the solution. So while we only have this one little phrase, the forgiveness of sins, in the Apostles' Creed, uh, as we've been doing week by week, we can go to Redemption's doctrinal statement, and we will. So here you go. In there it says this. We believe that man was created in the image of God, that he sinned, thereby incurring not only physical but spiritual death, which is separation from God, and that all human beings are born with a sinful nature, which is manifested in thought, word, and deed. Now that's the problem. The problem is that our first parents, Adam and Eve, They started out in a great state. They were in a perfect relationship with the perfect God in a perfect garden on a perfect planet. It was awesome. And in that context, God gave them just one don't. Lots of do's. Have at it. Great. But just one don't. This tree right here, don't eat from that tree. Basically one command. And and really the idea there is just stay in submission in relationship with God. Just walk with him. That's all you got to do. Don't rebel. Well, then what happened is Satan slithered into the garden. And what he did is he started to question the word of God. Did God really say? He questioned the character of God, the goodness of God. He he encouraged them and and tempted them to reject God's lordship and to break that command, basically to join Satan in his cosmic rebellion. And they did. Well, technically we all did. 
See, Adam and Eve are our first parents and we were in them. We are represented by them and through them. And so in that, all of us sin such that now every human being is born stained in a broken relationship with God. We have depravity. We all have a sinful nature and all it doesn't take long and that thing shows up, right? Like which one of you taught your kids to say mine? They just do it, right? You don't have to teach them. And all of us do that. And so it manifests in thought, word, and deed. But the problem is way worse than you know because we're, we're more sinful than we know. The typical response to pastors in this situation is, well, I never murdered anyone. Good for you, cowboy. So what you just did is you use you as the standard. God doesn't use you as the standard. And what we do as human beings is I just try to find some poor schmuck that's worse off than me, a murderer, and I point to him and I go, so I'm okay. But that's not the standard. In God's creation, the standard is God's holiness, his perfect holiness. That's the standard. You've got to view it from God's perspective. This is cosmic rebellion against God. No matter what you've done, it's cosmic rebellion against the one true God. So one little lie is enough to join the rebellion. Okay, but time out. Who in here has only done one little lie? Like, come on. We say that? That's none of us. We're way worse than we try to admit. So I'm going to give you a quote from Dane Ortland, who wrote the book Gentle and Lowly. I'll refer to it a couple times this morning. Amazing book. He is in the, the book at the time. He's addressing the problem. And here is what he says. We inhaled rejection of God, and then we exhaled self-destruction and well-deserved judgment. Beneath our smiles at the grocery store and cheerful greetings to the mailman, we were quietly enthroning self and eviscerating our souls of the beauty and dignity and worship for which they were made. Sin was not something we lapsed into. It defined our moment-by-moment existence at the level of deed, word, thought, and yes, even desire. He quotes scripture here, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We not only lived in sin, we enjoyed living in sin. We wanted to live in sin. It was our coddled treasure, our golem's ring, our settled delight. In short, we were dead, utterly helpless. To put a point on it, let's look at Isaiah 64 verse 6. Here's what that says. We have all become like one who is unclean and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Uh, The problem is that we're not reading it in the original Hebrew and you wouldn't understand it anyway. And uh, so you don't catch the gravity of that verse. It gets gross, but we're going to do it anyway. Excuse me. Scholars tell us that that phrase at the end there, a polluted garment, what that refers to is a woman on her menstrual cycle. Back in the day, you don't go to Target and buy Tampax. You have rags. These, the, literally what it says, those are used menstrual cloths. That's your righteous deeds. Look at the verse. Not the bad stuff. The bad stuff's worse than Your righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's what it's saying. Because we do it in selfishness. We do it in pride. We do it for all kinds of 
weird motives. And that's our good stuff is like that. That's how we are. Are you getting a sense for the depth of the problem? And you say, well, shucks, yes, I guess I'm a sinner. Oh, boys will be boys. Man, do you understand the consequences of our cosmic rebellion? God's good creation was subjected to the curse. And what that meant is a broken earth with death and disease and decay and disorder. It's like we're going along in this car called earth and it's got square tires. And it's just, I mean, it's off kilter, right? This thing is broken. Depravity comes into it where we're sinfully and selfishly, we're just hurting each other all the time. That's what we do. That's our pastime. We hurt each other. Shame came into it. This is an interesting one. So before sin entered the garden, there's a great, great verse in the Bible, probably my favorite verse. I'd recommend it as a memory verse. It says that the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. That's a great verse. Memorize that. Okay. So no sin, no shame. No sin, no shame. Sin entered in, and the very first thing we did was sewed fig leaves together and hid from each other. Because now we got, sin leads to shame. We got shame. We got shame. You got shame. We got shame. And then a broken relationship with God. We not only hid from each other, we hid from God, which is a loser's game when you try to hide from the omnipresent one, okay? But, but we're, we're hiding from God. It's a broken relationship with God, and then that leads to eternal separation from God. That is hell. He warned us, don't eat of that tree, for when you do it, you will die. Death will enter into creation, into our relationship, into your lives, and that's the problem. We have sinned, and the earth has gone to hell in a handbasket, and we're going to hell too. And we can't fix it. We're screwed. We're going to hell. Stand for a benediction. No. (laughs) We're not done yet. We're not done yet. But I want you to catch this. Don't miss this. I mean, it would be horrible if the story ended right there, right? I want you to know this. God would have been perfectly within his right to put a period there and close the book. That's the end of the story. As a holy and just God, it would have been okay if he ended it that way. God is God. But the problem is he's also God. (laughs) And he's loving, and he's merciful, and he's gracious. Okay, yeah, but he's also holy and just. And a holy and just God who said sin deserves, deserves death, he can't wink at it, he can't sweep it under the carpet. If he does that, he's not holy and therefore not God. He can't wink at it. He's holy and just. He's loving and merciful and gracious. What is God going to do? And Jesus says, Father, I'll go. I will live out our, our love and mercy and graciousness, but I will support our holiness and justice. I will die in their place. Jesus says, I will go. I'll pay it for him. And that's exactly what he did. And so you see that in our doctrinal statement here. says, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins as a representative and substitutionary sacrifice. And that all who believe in him are justified entirely on the ground of his shed blood. 
We believe that salvation is a gift from God offered to man by grace and received by personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose precious blood was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. All who receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior are born again of the Holy Spirit and become children of God and heirs of eternal life. This is a relationship in which they are eternally secure. So one little statement, the forgiveness of sins in the Apostles' Creed. Some big statements in our doctrinal statement, but that's a great question. Is it in the Bible? So now let's look, if we can, at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. What it says there is this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So yeah, there it is. Jesus died in our place. Sometimes we say salvation is free, and that's only kind of true. Salvation was actually very costly. Salvation isn't free. It's just already paid by Jesus. He covered the tab. See, that's different. And when did he do it? When did he step in and die in our place? Was it when we cleaned ourselves up enough? Went to church enough? Read our Bibles enough? Prayed enough? Sinned a little bit less. Like, sinned not so much. Gave enough? Served enough? Is that when? What it says is, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a display of the heart and the character of God. I told you, listen, you have no idea how sinful you are. You also have no idea how forgiving God is. You cannot out-sin the forgiveness in the cross. You just can't. Now, Is that automatically true for everyone on earth? Well, no, no. Look, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It starts off talking about grace. Grace is an undeserved gift, an It's unearned favor. You cannot earn your salvation. You can't clean yourself up enough. That's not the plan. We did everything to necessitate our death and need a Savior. We don't clean it up. He does. It's grace. It can't be earned. It it talks in there about a gift. Now, here's the thing about a gift, though. A gift, if offered, it must be received or it's not yours. It doesn't matter if I buy you a gift. If you don't take it, it ain't yours. And so Jesus holds out the gift of salvation and we have to receive it, it says, through faith. That's not abstract belief in a distant God. I believe in God. That's not it. So I I give my heart to Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. I re-enter into that relationship with God and walk with him and enjoy him again. That's what it's about. One of the cool things in there is that uh, you see grace leads to worship. 
How do I get that? Notice it says that no one may boast. Okay, so when you get to heaven someday, you know, maybe I, I walk into heaven and, and somebody says, hey, Rick, how'd you get here? <laughs> I'm going to say, well, as a pastor. How'd you get here? Well, I was a really good Christian. I served a lot and gave a lot. Boasting. That's boasting. You understand? That's in the broken world. That's not in heaven. There's no boasting in heaven. Otherwise, heaven would be hell. What's going to happen is you're going to say, Rick, how'd you get here? I'm going to point to Jesus and say, he did it. I have no idea. He did it. How'd you get here? He did it. Jesus did it. There's no boasting in heaven. There's just worship of Jesus. That's it. That's grace. It's grace that leads to that. And I want to tell you one of the results. So in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 is this wonderful Christological statement. I actually quoted from it a couple weeks ago when we were just looking at Jesus, who he is. When you come to chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. All right, it, it talks in there about a record of debt. So, so the picture is that in heaven are all these file boxes. And on, in one of the file boxes is a sheet of paper with my name on it. And it is a certificate of a debt of death that I owe God. And for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, God takes that thing and marks it. Paid in full. Not paid in part, paid in full. And he canceled out that record of debt by nailing it to the cross. That's what Jesus did. Jesus paid it in full. How could God ever require it of us? It's been paid by Jesus. But why did he do it? Okay. Do you think Jesus did all that for us so that you could go to church occasionally, try to cuss less, and then live like your non-Christian neighbor? Is that why he did it, Really? He did it to make you alive, to resurrect your life, to adopt you as his kid, to restore relationship with you. Okay, so this is not just some get out of, uh, get out of hell free card that when you're at the gates of heaven, you throw it on the table and you get to sneak in. It's not for later, it's for now. This is redemption now, restoration now, reconciliation now, relationship now, eternal life, not later, but now. It's kingdom life now. He made you alive now. You get to walk with God now. Now. So we got this one little phrase. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I hope you see now, there's a lot packed into that. But I want you to believe. So everybody say this with me right now. Say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. No, you don't. No, you don't. I, I think you kind of do, but I don't think you really do. I'm going to be straight with you. We intellectually believe it. We're good Christians. So yeah, I know the gospel. Yippee skippy. Do we really get it? I think, I think we think that the Apostle Creed says, I believe in the obedience of Christians. 
But it doesn't say that. What it says is I believe in the forgiveness of sins and that's very different. So what I'm going to do is spend the rest of our time preaching the gospel to the Christians in the room because we've missed something. Here's the thing. We're riddled by shame. Right? You know it's true. Listen, the fact that we're riddled by shame is proof that we don't fully grasp the forgiveness of sins. It's proof positive. You sit here in that row right now and you're desperately afraid that the people around you would know the gross stuff in you. You're pretty sure that everyone else around you is a clean, nice, good, righteous Christian and you just hope they don't find out about your crap. You know what they're thinking? (laughs) Same thing. They're looking at you, they think you're the nice, good Christian. And they're hoping that you don't find out their crap. We got shame and it's hanging all over us. How about this? How do you think God feels toward you? Okay, no time. Well, God loves us. Okay, thank you, Junior Holy Spirit, for your Sunday school answer. That's so helpful, right? Check the box. You said the right answer. Good, thanks. But to to be honest, let's be honest for a second. You think God's disappointed in you. You think God's frustrated with you. You think God's a little disgusted by you at times. Like having second thoughts on his purchase. And the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, but do you? Like, do you really? Shame says you're too gross for God. But that's not the voice of God. That's the whispers of the evil one in your ear. That's not conviction from the Holy Spirit designed to help you grow in Christ. That's condemnation, not conviction. Condemnation that leads to shame, that's from the devil. He's trying to get you to run from God. You know why? Because, listen, how could God ever really love someone like you? You're nasty. And if people, if the people around you, the other Christians knew, they'd reject you. Your crap is just way too much. And God, God's disappointed in you. You're too gross for God. And that's what we hear as Christians in our ears. And we start to believe it. Our hearts go towards condemnation. Our hearts go towards shame. And we say, we'll confess, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. But do you? Like, do you down deep? Listen, you have never been holy in yourself. And you never will be holy in yourself. You've always been a sinner. And God knew that when he adopted you as his daughter, when he adopted you as his son. He knew what he was getting. And he said, you're mine. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew. After all, that's who God is. He is a savior by nature. When we sin, when we're at our grossest, I think that's when Christ runs to us the most, not the least. We think Jesus is drawn to us when we're holy. What if he's actually drawn to us when we're needy and broken and hurting and yucky? What if, what if, try this one on, what if he's a savior? Because you know what saviors do? They save people. It's in the definition. They run towards hurting people and Jesus does it with a heart full of love and compassion and desire. That's what he does. It's like a parent watching a little kid starting to walk for the first time, trying it out. Kid falls over and gets hurt. 
What do we say as parents? Idiot. You're out of the family. I'd tell you to walk out of here, but you can't do that. Why do we think God says that to us? Right? We know that when the kid falls and hurts herself, like the parent runs, loves, embraces. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus does. We say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, but do you? I I feel like we're still back in the Garden of Eden right after sin when we're hiding from God, running from Him, pretty sure that He's mad at us, we're too gross for Him. Meanwhile, He's loving us, He's dying for us, He's running toward us, us, and we're running from Him. Despite the gospel, despite the gospel, we're still trying to earn the love of God. And sure, I know, I know I'll go to heaven someday because of the cross of Jesus Christ, but right now, I'm pretty sure the primary truth is God is disappointed in me. And if I work really hard, then I can get him to love me and get him to like me again. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? What if? What if? What if you're a horrible sinner and God already knew it? What if Jesus died in your place once for all, the just for the unjust? What if he hung on the cross and said, it is finished? And then when you put your faith in him, he took you and he said, you are mine. You're my treasured child. What if? What if he snagged your certificate of debt and marked it paid in full, not paid in part? Painful. What if then he placed you in Christ? Do you know how often the Bible refers to Christians as in Christ? He places you in Christ, which means when the Father God looks at you, he sees Jesus wrapped around you. It's as if he took the righteousness of Jesus off of him like a robe and wrapped it around you. So when God sees you, despite how nasty you and I know you are, what he sees is the holiness of Jesus. Could God like you any more than the holiness of Jesus? What if? What if? What if? All I just went through is the gospel. That's it. But we've yet to wrap our hearts around it and let it sink down in deep. In the book, Gentle and Lowly, I came across this bit by John Bunyan, who kind of teased out what this interaction is like between us and God. And here it is. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know, you know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see. But there's perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I, I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and it's heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. 
You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed at others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. Are you ready for this? What's the worst thing you've done? Let me hear. No, okay, it's rhetorical. <laughs> okay. But I want you to think from what's the worst thing? The thing that is most shrouded in shame. What's the worst thing about you? Here's the answer. You might not even know because you might not have done it yet. Have you ever thought about that? The worst thing you might do in your life, you might not yet have done. And God already knows it and already died for you and already chose you as his kid. You are worse than you know, but you're more forgiven than you know. God already paid it in full. You just don't know how forgiven you are. Now, because of our shame, our typical response to sin is to explain it, justify it, rationalize it, defend it, try to work harder to compensate for it, so I'll do a a few extra religious duties so God will like me. What if we gave up defending our sin and we just say, guilty as charged? In fact, you know what? You don't even know how bad I am. I'm worse than you think. Guilty as charged. But I don't believe in the obedience of Christians. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And God took my paper and he stamped it, paid in full. Hallelujah. Paid in full. Now, I think if, if, you really get the forgiveness of sins, like you really grasp it and you let it go down deep, then your spiritual life is going to look different. Your spiritual life will look a little bit like this. does breathing feel like? Dogs are great. I love dogs. TikTok's okay. You know what's really good? What's really good is the forgiveness of sins. And what you just that ought to be your spiritual life. How many of you, if I asked you to describe your spiritual life, would describe it like that? Maybe it's because you have a leash called shame. Maybe it's time to let the forgiveness of sins snap that leash and release you that you could just run free of your sin and your guilt and your shame. I want you to really believe in the forgiveness of sins. I want you off that leash. I want you to run with your God. Run with Him. So what do we do? Well, a couple things I want to encourage you. Number one, I'd like you to read this book, Gentle and Lowly. It, it, folks, it rocked my world. Read it over the past couple of years. Probably in my top five all-time favorite books. It's not a long read, but I'll tell you what, you will catch a glimpse of the heart of Jesus, how he runs towards sinners like you. It's gorgeous. I'd really like you to read it. I tell you to, uh, there are some free copies at the Welcome Center kiosk, but first service people were selfish. So, <laughs> But it's, it's, it's a cheap book, 10, 15 bucks, you can get it, so... Uh, the other thing, uh, another thing that I'd like you to consider. We have these stickers. Say paid in full. 
Now, uh, here's the thing. Uh, some of you have been doing Christian religion for long enough. That you've been around Jesus, near Jesus, but you've never yet, by faith, given your life to Jesus and said, I'm going from this broken relationship, I'm back. And you, he adopts you as his daughter, adopts you as, a, as his son, and now he's your savior. You belong to him, he's yours. And you receive the forgiveness of sins. You get eternal life, not eternal death. Maybe you've done religion for too long. Maybe today is the day. If that's true, I'm almost done with the sermon here. We'll recite the Apostles' Creed together. Then we'll have a song of response. Band will be up here. During that time, I want you to leave your seat. I don't care about what people think of you, see you. I don't care. You come up. You grab one of these stickers right here. It says today's date, which you're going to then want to write today's date in. And you'd say, but I don't have a Sharpie. And yet under your chair is a Sharpie right now. Surprisingly, right? So you're going to write the date on there. I said the first service people were selfish. Actually, what happened is, um, you know how shipping goes today? Oh, it'll be there this week. <laughs> Not. So we ordered tons of these. They didn't come. We scrambled. We got a hundred stickers and then uh, first service people were selfish and now we have 16. So uh, what we have here is we scrambled and printed off some uh, cards as well. If we run out of stickers, you grab one of those, write the date in. You got it. We'll have those stickers. You can get them this week in the office or next Sunday, whatever. Uh, So you grab one of those. Now, you might be thinking, okay, but time out. Like, so everybody's singing, and I'm just going to walk up alone. Everybody's going to notice me. Oh, no, they won't, because here's the thing. I've got something for everybody. On your chairs are these stir sticks, little paint stir stick things. It's not that we want you to do some home remodeling today. That's not it. What I want you to do during the closing song is I want you to take that Sharpie, and I want you to write on this thing the worst thing about you. Your worst sin. I, I get, you might write it in code or you might do one of these. Right, I get it, okay. But you're going to write it on there, okay? And then during the closing song, while we're all worshiping, you're going to hear this around the room. Man, if you need, have your wife do it for you. But um, <laughs> some of you are like, stir sick dude, I need a piece of plywood. I got lots of write. Okay, listen. You've been walking around with that leash of shame on you way, way too long. Way too long. And I want you to know you believe in the forgiveness of sins. God ran to you. God is running to you. Would you run to him? Would you allow him to snap this? And here's, you know what? This is not, if you want to take it home, fine. You take it home. This is not meant to be a memento. When Jesus paid for it, he owns it. It doesn't belong to you anymore. We got trash cans. You come up, you leave your seats, there's one there, there's one there, there's one. At the end of every row back there, you go during worship, you snap that thing, you go throw it out. It's not yours anymore. You're free. Today we're going to believe in the forgiveness of sins. Would you stand with me? Let me pray. Father, we need your help. Because despite all you've done, how patient, how loving and gracious, despite the cross... We still hold on to our shame. And I'm hoping today some people will receive forgiveness for the first time, putting their life in your hand and beginning relationship today. They come get a sticker. Awesome. But Father, I want every Christian in this room that today 
but experience freedom from shame. To understand the forgiveness of sins, to not just confess it with their mouth, but it would go down deep and free them, and we would run as free women and men. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. As we respond, let's start by reciting this creed together, if you'll say it aloud with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.